Good humor is honest and truthful. I mean, there's a lot of style, so you can be hyperbolic, you can be playful, you can deliberately lie, and but in funny ways that your audience is in on. But it's easier to tell hard truths or have truthful dialogue and conversation when it's couched in humor. So that's a beautiful way to start building a relationship because you can build audience trust. It helps audiences guard to come down. They are less defensive being in the sales process or the sales cycle or feeling sold to. So they understand kind of what the dynamic is in this relationship. Welcome to the Social Complex Podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate. Welcome back to another episode of the Social Complex Podcast. I am your host, Hillary Applegate, and today we are going to be talking about the funnies, the giggles, the good stuff of life. Really the accoutrement of the best kind of advertising form out there. Humor in branding, not just slapstick comedy, but a variety of humor that is rooted in science of how people connect, communicate, and ultimately trust one another. We all love comedy shows. We all love the funny little clips on TikTok. We all love the witty banter back and forth from brands on Twitter. And we love personality. And there is no better person out there to get into the nerdy, ooey-gooey stuff of why humor in branding works so well than Ali Lefevre. Ali Lefevre is a branding expert and the co-founder of Obedient, a marketing agency that specializes in humor to connect with their audiences. With a background in advertising and a passion for comedy, Allie brings a unique perspective to the world of branding, helping companies develop their voice and create content that resonates with their audience. She shares her experience on the science of humor and the power of storytelling to drive engagement and build brand loyalty. She has been featured in a variety of media outlets, including Forbes, Inc., Adweek, and Fast Company and is a frequent guest on other podcasts and webinars as well. With a witty and irreverent style, Allie is known for her ability to make complex branding concepts accessible and entertaining. She is dedicated to helping businesses of all sizes harness the power of humor to create meaningful connections with their audience and drive long-term success. Allie does not hold back on sharing her incredible knowledge and robust amount of experience in the space in this episode, and we are so grateful for it. So I hope you get as much out of it as I did. Let's get into it. Very important question to get us started, which is growing up, what role did you have in your friend group in your classroom? Oh, yeah, that's easy. I'm I'm the social butterfly. I'm the one that would go to a party or go to the bar or go to any sort of event and I'd walk away with like six new friends and I'd be dragging them to par- I like I was always like guys I made some new girlfriends and I would bring all the randoms to the social gatherings it would just be a smattering of strangers and people that we probably hung out with one time and never talked to again but I was very much the yeah the connector the social one very enthusiastic I'm still really close with all of my high school pals. There's eight of us girls and a bunch of us, more broadly, a bunch of my guy friends. We're all mostly extroverts, I would say, for the most part. So everyone was just like very fun and silly. And yeah, I mean, if (laughs) to give you an example, I planned all four of my high school reunions. Like, so (laughs) I like, I like lava. I love a party. I love a gathering. I love I love pretty much everyone I went to high school with. I like love seeing them. They're just so nice and fun and yeah. So that was my that was my uh personality and role then. <laughs> I love it. And I had to ask because I feel like who you are growing up is a huge indicator of what you will do with your life. And the way in which you work and what you do is so unique that I just, I had an inkling that we might ah. either get like class clown or like the connector social can't get enough of people around her. Yeah. Well, I, it's so funny. My best girlfriend got class clown and I got most spirited and most unforgettable in high school, which is so silly and embarrassing that 20 years later, I'm bragging about that. But (laughs) no, what an honor. I would brag about that too. But we were just like a real friendly, um, outgoing group. Everyone was really nice and involved and kind. And yeah, I have like a really wonderful high school experience and memory. What a fabulous And I don't hold on to it too tightly, but I, I definitely think back on it very fondly. You didn't peak in high school. 
No, we'll, we'll clarify that. I hope not. I mean, and if I did, I'd be okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. So when did you decide that you wanted to go into marketing, branding, advertising? Like when did that moment happen for you? Oh God, it was kind of all just a fluke. Um, So when I was in college, I went into college initially wanting to be a veterinarian. I thought that was going to be my path in life. And then I quickly realized it's not just playing with animals all day. Like you have to actually make difficult decisions and learn, you know, a lot of uh, chemistry and and uh, uh, coursework that I just was not interested in studying my entire life. So I switched my major to psychology, as most people do at some point in college when you're uh, a lost little puppy trying to find your way in the world. Same. I was about to graduate, didn't know what I wanted to do with myself. So I stayed an extra year in college and I got another degree in communications with a focus in PR. And then I never used that degree. I ended up working at a consulting firm after high school. And I'm sorry, I worked at event planning. I did event planning for one year and then I pivoted and worked at a consulting firm after college rather. And then I did that for about six or seven years. And on the side, I was, it was when blogs were, you know, at their peak. And I started a very silly blog that was a lifestyle blog about just my time in Chicago and it was humorous and it was a bit satirical and it was just offbeat and silly and it just gave me a chance to kind of explore that communications degree I guess but uh you know the the thing I always like to do behind the scenes which was right and it gained some traction and it got a little popular and uh, from a very a very local level right but it I think it allowed me to flex a part of my skill set that I hadn't in a very very long time and I never really thought would translate into a career in any meaningful way. And then I was working at the consulting firm and there were a couple managers that I had worked with that they were branching off and starting a their own company. And it was one of the first subscription box companies in the market. And they needed someone to come in and serve as a VP of engagement. And <laughs> probably because they didn't want to pay someone a whole lot. And they they were looking for anyone who would be willing to take on the role. And I wanted out of the consulting space so badly. And so I joined the team and it was a chance for me to do consumer engagement and flex some writing chops and do essentially branding and marketing for the very first time. And I had no formal training. I had no skill set, but they knew that I had this little blog. They enjoyed me enough as a person working with me. And so I stepped into this role that I had really no right to be in other than it was a new company that was obviously not going to attract to the top talent in the game. And so it gave me a chance to just really play around in that space. And I found that I really liked branding and marketing. I had fun with it. And that the thing I naturally gravitated toward was just humor. And I think that they didn't really have a vision for the company entirely. And so they let me really explore developing a voice for a brand for the first time and I got to make it funny and um I was with them for about a year and year and a half and then I jumped ship and decided I wanted to do branding on my own and I did that for a little while and then it was lonely and sad because I as we talked about I'm an extrovert and I'm social and my best friend was a copywriter and comedy writer who I met in Chicago and we decided what if we left our lives behind and we joined forces and we built an agency with the idea that fun sells. And that's what we did. And that's how Obedient was born. I love it so much. Obedient. I, I, I've i already read your website. I know where the name comes from. But for anyone listening, why did you choose Obedient as the name? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, very specifically because a good name has a certain type of letters called splosives that are very catchy and they kind of hit your ear in the right way and they feel very strong and dynamic. Obedient has a lot of those. B, D, T, um, a specific letter. So like we liked that. We were ideating a ton of names and that just kind of had all kind of the right components of a name. But the, you know, the emotional backstory behind it was because we just wanted to find a name that was reflective to some degree of our ethos. And we wanted it to be a bit cheeky. And we wanted to start an agency that we thought was anything but obedient. And we wanted to buck traditional marketing to some degree, especially because we had no background or skill set in traditional marketing. So we were kind of disobedient to the art form. But we thought it'd be really fun to call it obedient as um, just to kind of play on words a little bit. And that as being two women in the space starting a business, 
obedience not a word that I think I like to be tagged with, and I'm sure you don't, and I'm sure a lot of listeners don't. So we thought it, again, made it kind of fun to play, to own that word in a different way. So yeah, that was, uh, that's the origin. I love it. Catchy and very much on brand as far as, um, you know, going to go ahead and take back the the tags and the names that don't necessarily associate with, <laughs> with you and just own it in a different way. I love it. I think it's awesome. As far as your brand goes, when you were getting started, you didn't have that formal training. Did you feel that level of imposter syndrome when you were getting into it? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, especially because, you know, walking into this world, there were terms we didn't understand. There was just a whole language of branding, marketing, advertising that was just pretty unfamiliar to us in totality. And initially, you know, we had, thankfully, when we were both on our own, we had accrued some clout and some work experience, um, just kind of from people hiring us for little one-off projects. And so we had enough to feel like we could be proud of what we were capable of, but it was scary initially because we, there was a lot we didn't know. and And a lot of it was a guessing game and gut instinct. And also because we were doing something different and we wanted to specialize in a type of branding and marketing that a lot of our competitors weren't doing. It was easy to feel like we were doing something wrong sometimes because we felt like we were on an island occasionally. But I will say something about Lindsay and I, who's my business partner and my best friend. We are very systematized people. Weirdly enough, as much as we're both creatives, we're highly organized, very structured and very systematized. And so we were always trying to come up with like structures behind the scenes so that we could prove um, uh, we wouldn't just, you know, write copy or come up with ideas like we actually could like prove it and create structures and um, create archetypes and and create um, IP that would essentially like back up the things that we were creating and developing so even though front-facing we were working with clients like from behind the scenes we were trying to build our arsenal and build it in our own way so kind of plucking out the best parts of marketing and branding and advertising and principles we were learning and that we thought were relative or relevant rather and and valuable and things we wanted to carry forward and like leaving the rest and then trying to add our own little flavor to it ultimately like trying to build something that was professional and thoughtful and rooted in something tangible not just jokes yeah Um, because a joke is not you know a good joke does not a branding strategy make so we had to find that proof along the way and that's what we've been doing the last seven years I love it I feel like it's such a science and an art what you're doing and to hear about the more systems in place that you've put and foundation so that there's structure to everything that you're doing I, I think that is a lot of what people don't understand when they look at brands that do have such a powerful presence, especially in humor, because it is so subjective almost. Yeah, definitely. And there's different styles and different flavors for different people. And to be able to understand that audience that you're going to go after and the style of humor that is most likely to engage and, you know, capture that attention. I just think that's such a fine line and you guys do it so well knowing that you have all of these systems in place, how long did that take you to get it to a spot where you're like, okay, I feel like we've got this down, the science part of what we do? Well, first of all, thank you for all the compliments. <laughs> Everyone Anytime. loves a good ego stroke. So I will, I welcome that with open arms. Um, but I would say somewhere between year four and five, I would say we really felt like we hit our stride. Um. It, it just, I think at that point we had enough of uh, like some, some really cool client projects we'd worked on. Um, we'd had enough positive responses to our work. We had seen things become effective. We had just really started to fine tune things. So it's like we had a lot of disparate ideas and things that we just slowly built out, made more tangible, and started to see those things actually work. And we could take our ideas and back them into processes we had created. So I, I think around four, year four to five is like we really were like, okay, we're grooving. We are constantly 
probably to a fault, fine-tuning and tweaking and changing and shifting things incessantly. I think it's it's like probably the best and worst parts of our personality is we are – and it sounds so cheesy to say, but like because we're like – we try to be A-plus people – it's like the goalpost moves constantly. And it's like, okay, this was an A plus yesterday, but I can't even look at it now. It's like, yeah. oh, God, it was terrible. But it was like, it is good, but not good enough for us because we always want to keep growing. Yeah. Like, for example, like you even bring up our website. That website is several years old. I can't even look at our website. I hate it. And people comment all the time how they think it's fun and entertaining and delightful. And and I'm like, oh, well, we've got a new website we're about to roll out in a month. And that to me is light years away from this one. So we hit our sweet spot a couple years ago, but I think we keep trying to push the ball forward. I mean, that that's what you want. You want to continue leveling up and someone's first impression of a website or even 10th impression of a website compared to your 700th or 7,000th, of course you're not going to be able to stand yeah, it. I know. You're just not the same person anymore. We've changed. We've grown. It's wild how how you can love something in one moment and go, oh, this is like the coup de gras. This is uh, you know, it's our magnum opus of copy. And then it's like, I can't. Oh my god, why do we write that? I, <laughs> do we both agree on that? Like, did we co-sign on that? So uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, that's the evolution process of creativity. I feel like there's something to be said there though about how fast creativity moves and how much, I don't even want to say humor, but it it is humor to a degree that it just changes. And I'm curious to hear your take on that movement and that rapid shifting that I feel like the advertising industry is always just trying to stay ahead and trying to stay on top of it. It's so challenging for brands to root themselves in something that does have a longer shelf life than that of flash trends or kind of the flavor of the week. What is your perspective on how brands can find that steady state that they can really root themselves in even when they are shifting their campaigns or their messaging? Like, What is it that is the, the tried and true North Star for companies so that they don't get lost in, lost in the sauce? I don't know what the right Yeah, I love is. it. Lost in the sauce. Well, I think you're, you almost hit on it with lost in the sauce is that um, language shifts really quickly. It can become outdated quickly. Things that are in the zeitgeist today might not be tomorrow. I think that if you don't jump on a trend instantly, by the time it goes through the corporate chain of command and goes through all the red tape and the bureaucratic BS and 40 people have to sign off on it, most brands are are so late. Like you have to be nimble just with creativity in general and pivot quickly. I personally am not the biggest fan of like jumping on trends. I, I think the humor from a humor perspective that has staying power is our ones is humor rather that is not that is a little bit more um universally beloved and relatable i mean that's the beauty of humor we call it we say the humor is the truth having fun i think if you just relate it in things that are recognizable and truthful and playful and or offbeat or absurd or you know there's a million different styles but i think that if you try to keep up with kind of what's the latest thing happening, then I think you're going to quickly fall behind the eight ball. Um, is, fall, is behind the eight ball good? <laughs> I can't remember. I don't know if that I used that right. That works for me. But I'm I think here you're gonna, for it. I think you're going to quickly uh, fall behind because trends are just so fly by night. So I think mm-hmm. if you get too caught up in aligning yourself with them, you're probably going to become outdated fairly quickly. What makes a company that can be more kitschy, more cheeky, more responsive? Like I, we think of the Duolingos on TikTok or the Wendy's mm-hmm. on Twitter. I mean, those have just been referenced time and time again when it comes to having that personality almost where people look at it and they say, I'm sorry, who approved that? What is, how did that get by? And that goes back to that idea of all these, you know, uh, C-suite laundry list of people that have to sign off on these larger brand initiatives. Now social media has just completely unlocked an opportunity, but we've seen it go right. And then we've also seen it go wrong. Did you ever see PVRs? Uh, Oh, Paps Blue Tell. Ribbons. Yeah, I, I'm. I know PBR. Wait, give me, give me an update. Oh my gosh, I I don't even know if I can say this on the show. <laughs> say, you can always cut um, it. <laughs> I'm like, wait, I have to pull up the exact 
um, tweet. It was so bad. Let me see. PBR. I think you're. I think you're tapping into the exact thing. Is that? Uh, I think good brands are nimble and they give a lot of power to the people that are in creative, and they the brands that are funny. Wendy's, Duolingo. Like it's a person who's funny. It's probably not a thirty-person team strategy. But yeah, but tell me the PBR because I want to hear the dark side of that. Okay, so someone responded to one of their tweets and said, PBR or ass, what's the difference? And they replied and said, ask your mom. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's that's a strategy too, is, uh, you know, to be a little uh, abrasive and shock value i mean it's a style of humor uh it got people talking it is a style PBR of is not humor. going anywhere it is a style of humor that is for sure um yeah but they they did delete it which oh interesting i think is almost I'm surprised the, i i think it's like the pinnacle though of when you lean into a response a personality anything of that nature it's like you kind of gotta stay behind it so I don't know if it's worse. I mean, personally, I think it's, I didn't think it was that bad. I think it was kind of funny in a silly, <laughs> immature way. Um, I think that would have been fi- fine to leave it unless that was so entirely unlike the brand. I don't, I haven't drank PBR in 20 years, so I don't know. It used to be a fan favorite back in my high school days, but unless it was like, that is just not the brand voice. Their brand voice is not funny playful sarcastic whatever they might have just gotten in trouble (laughs) but otherwise I didn't think it was like the worst insult they it wasn't it was offensive but it wasn't like derogatory yeah uh you know like a slur or anything like that um it leans into the idea of like the the immature kind of humor though that I would when I think of someone who drinks PBR uh, that matches in my in my opinion yeah, I mean that's a thing we would have said when I, we were seventeen. Oh, yeah. God, sorry, 21, Tw- I mean, 21, drinking, 20, uh, 21. 21, 21 in all fifty states. Um, yeah, I I feel like tonally that feels aligned, but again, I don't I don't really know what approach PBR takes, so I can't really weigh in on that part. But uh, I thought it was like a I mean that's like to me like just like a silly juvenile insult that's meant to be funny and playful but I want to dissect that a little bit so yeah a brand goes on Twitter and they are you know they're they they make a joke or a quick response like this it is on more of like the crass lines let's go ahead and even say that they can be crass and they've built up that yeah reputation Mm -hmm. how does a brand get to that point in your opinion where they do have that strong stance of what they can and can't do and the roles to make that level of responsiveness effective? Well, I think, I mean, I think you have to build goodwill with your audience first. Um, I think that they have to know, like, and trust you as a brand. They have to be behind you when you make decisions like that. I mean, there's some brands that kind of come out the gate with that personality and I think then that becomes like their audience knows that that's who they are that's Mm -hmm. how they speak that's their brand voice that's how they communicate so they're in on the joke kind of from the start and again there's like a million different styles that a brand can take but let's like say crass like there people are just like bought into that is the brand the brand is crass the brand is abrasive the brand is blue humor whatever and then there's brands that have a very specific tonally crass voice on social media and it's just about, like, Wendy's brand as a whole is not like that. Mm-hmm. But then they go really go hard in the paint. And, like, at that point, I think it's just more barbs that they're throwing at their consumers. It's it's teasy. It's jokes. I think people are also, like, in on it, aware. Mm-hmm. And it generates reactions and response. And it keeps them top of mind and present with their consumer base. I mean, people aren't talking about certain other chains on social media to the degree they're talking about like a Wendy's or like a Duolingo on TikTok, which Mm -hmm. we hear a lot too. So it's, they're, they're at the top of mind for people. And 
I think people have a better sense of humor than people give them credit for if things are well thought out and intentional. Mm -hmm. And I think that people would rather play with a brand and have fun with a brand than be sold to just incessantly. Because I think what people are very hep to is uh, brands that are – they pretend they're sincere and they're integral and it's like very clear they're not. Mm -hmm. They're just trying to get you to buy their shit. I'm – so curious about how humor then ties into sales because of course we're you know advertising we're in the business of selling and I'm mm-hmm. sure no one in the industry is ever shocked when a client says well how many sales am I going to get out of this like what what's our what's our ultimate what's our ultimate ROI on this when we get down to the nitty-gritty how do you go in selling humor as a part of that brand building experience that will ultimately lead to a higher ROI? Well, I mean, there's a lot of benefits to humor. Uh, and I, that's why I think it's so fun to have really rooted our agency in it. Cause I think it's the easiest sell in the world to some degree. It, um, good humor, not just any humor, but good humor is surprising. It's grabs your attention it's engaging. It's entertaining. It stops them in their scroll. It stops them in their tracks. It, 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 and so that's like a really powerful experience to give your consumer. There are three core emotions that allow a consumer to really cement in a memory. You can elicit laughter, a fear response, or sadness from your audience. Like those are moments in life in general. They allow you to really cement in a memory. And and so um, who wants to draw fear out of their audience or um, or moments where they feel like anxious or scared or or sadness? I mean, think of how much everyone remembers um, like, you know, Save the Children or Sarah McLaughlin. Like you kind of think of those campaigns that have been really effective over the years. Yeah. Let's make your audience sad. It's effective and it works. Yeah. Um, and then there's humor and making your audience laugh. It really cements an experience they have with your brand. So it's really powerful. It releases adrenaline in their system and it allows them to remember you. So that's one reason, one big sweeping reason why it's just so powerful. Then it, I can keep going. I can talk about this forever. So I love it. I love it. This slow is exactly, me down. I was like, Allie, I want you to geek yeah. out right now. This is one. Okay. <laughs> I'm getting going. I'm getting going. Okay. Then good humor is honest and truthful. I mean, there's a lot of style, so you can be hyperbolic, you can be playful, you can deliberately lie, and but in funny ways that your audience is in on. But it's easier to tell hard truths or have truthful dialogue and conversation when it's couched in humor. So that's a beautiful way to start building a relationship because you can build audience trust. It helps audiences guard to come down. They are less defensive being in the sales process or the sales cycle or feeling sold to. So they understand kind of what the dynamic is in this relationship. Another, I'm going to keep going. So just, again, yeah. You keep going. Stop me when you're ready. <laughs> um, another really cool thing uh, that humor can do is um, is that humor is a give before it's a take. So you have given your audience a positive emotion, a laugh, a guffaw, a smile before you've taken anything from them, before you've asked for a single dollar, you've given them something. So it is, it's a fair exchange. So that's really powerful. It also makes information easier to navigate. Um, think about like, I know in life, I grew up in a family where humor is our best defense against the world. It is how we navigate every single difficult situation. My family is funny as hell. My friends from high school and my friends from college and my friends now are funny as hell. And they're also just great, wonderful, warm people. But humor is just an awesome tool to deploy against the world. And so it makes things easier to digest, understand, make sense of, communicate, And so when you apply that to a brand and someone's experiencing your brand, like you can tell them it could help break down complex ideas. It can help you as a brand navigate a like a difficult topic that you want to talk about. It could help you retain information about something that's really convoluted because you can talk in metaphor and analogy and and it can just become more of a relatable branding experience. So, yeah, there are just a million reasons why humor is so powerful and it's underutilized because it's hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to do well. And because there's not just one style that works for everything. It's not cookie cutter. And it's not um, every audience is going to resonate with and respond to a different style of humor because every style of humor elicits a different feeling or emotion or response. And so it has to be very targeted. So it's just a, it's just a cool tool to be able to use. And also, like, we get marketed to 
all the time. Mm -hmm. And we are hit with hundreds of marketing messages a day, especially if people spend, you know, four seconds on their phone. Don't you want them to at least make you feel good Mm -hmm. (laughs) and make you laugh and feel something positive? Because so much of the world does the opposite. You either feel nothing or you just feel shitty. So I think that's another nice benefit. So you can geek out anytime you want on the (laughs) podcast, Allie. That was a very nice synopsis. (laughs) Oh my God. Thank you. Thank you. I was like, yeah, just running through all my favorite little tidbits. So hopefully that was. And it's awesome (laughs) to see you get in the zone. Like this is your passion. This is what you do for a living. How does it feel to be so aligned with what you were meant to do in this world? (laughs) It feels so cool because I, I honestly, like, I just, you know, I spent a good chunk of my career uh, thinking, like, this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. And and not even that I felt like there is this thing out there that I should be doing and I wasn't doing. I didn't even know what I wanted to do or what I was – I didn't really realize that this was a marketable skill. <laughs> that sounds very silly. But, like, when I went into college and I graduated from college, I didn't know the thing that I was maybe naturally talented at or had an inclination toward – or the merging of different parts of my personality. Like I'm very organized and systematized. I'm also really creative. Been told I'm funny. Um, and I'm very thoughtful and I'm very social. I like mm-hmm. to shoot the breeze with people. I like, I'm very empathetic. I, I really care about people that I speak with. And I just didn't know all those things could come together and be in like this industry. Like yeah. I just didn't know their I didn't know they could coexist and I didn't ever think about them coexisting. And then I never really thought I could build a business in which they coexisted. Yeah. And I, I come from a family where everyone ha- is mostly an entrepreneur, but like little, small little businesses. Like mm-hmm. my grandpa had a barber shop growing up. My mom's a hairdresser. My, my uncle has a vending machine company. Like I have like, everyone had these little micro entrepreneurial experiences that always were kind of in the back of my mind, like, I like that they have freedom. I like that they get to do what they want. I like that they get to do it how they want. Mm-hmm. So that was really special. So yeah, I really do feel very, very grateful that I found this thing in life that I'm very proud of and excited by. And I do it with my best friend. And I feel good about the work I do and how I can do it. And uh, I think that that is something I do not take lightly. Yeah. Uh, and a more serious note, I, I don't take that lightly because I know not everyone finds that yeah. or knows how to cultivate that. So yeah, I'm I'm a crybaby. Like I cry with gratitude about my life quite a bit, um, which is I, I'm happy I can do that. What an awesome way to live, as you should. I think that that is what everyone is looking for and, and wants out of life. And to be able to take such a unconventional road to where you are, I would say that that's definitely the you wouldn't have probably been where you are if you didn't take that road in the first place, you know? Oh, for sure. I mean, I don't regret any of the winding path I took to get here because I I think like my time at the consulting firms, they helped me think better. That sounds like a very unintelligent way to say it, but I think it taught me to be more organized with my thoughts, have like a really structured approach, be very operational with the way I think, mm-hmm. um, be able to back into ideas and be able to make my case. I think that's what makes us good at the work we do is because it's not willy-nilly. I mean, like when we're in documents, like it's chaotic in some ways and it's very structured and organized. And we are, we're very thoughtful and intentional about how we develop things and how we think people will respond. And is it just a funny line of copy or is it actually like driving forward the benefit or the feature of a business? Like, so yeah, I really think all of those various past lives really allowed me to get here, which has been cool. I, I have to say, I have watched a few of yours. Can they brand that, that you guys have the series through Medium? And to watch you both working is absolutely hysterical. I would love to be a fly on the wall in those documents that you've got going because I see your wheels just spinning together. And it's so it's, cool to see. It's a crazy process. And it's, well, I think also too, Lindsay and I are so good at brainstorming together. Even though whether it looks good from the outside or not, we're very in tune. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we jump, we like jump so rapidly from idea to idea because we are in sync with each other. So like she sends a word and it sends me somewhere really far away, but it actually is weirdly connected because her and I understand kind of the linear thought process, but 
Well, we get silly. And I think that I would say to anyone who sees themselves as a creative or like wants to be better at like brainstorming or and it's like you have to let yourself have the stupid ideas. Yeah. Like Lindsay and I say to each other as the highest form of a compliment, and you've probably heard it on a Kanye brand that that's so stupid. And <laughs> when it's so stupid, it means like you let yourself get there. Like it's yeah. so stupid. It made me laugh because you let yourself say it out loud. And that is the most fun idea, whether it becomes an idea that you throw away or an idea that is the idea or the idea that becomes another idea. Like you have to let them all end up on paper or say them out loud. Because sometimes when we brainstorm, sorry, I'm being tangential, but right now, um, but sometimes when we brainstorm, we'll go, um, I okay, we'll go like, not this, but something like this. And yeah. we'll say something really off the wall, like, you know, like the dog the dog can eat your homework instead. And then we're like, that sounds crazy. But like, do you know what I mean by that? And she'll go, okay, yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of it. So it's, it's like, it's just this <laughs> crazy process that allows us to just get all the fun ideas out. And then there's gold in there when you don't hold yourself down. And I, I, it's funny you say you were going on a tangent because I was legitimately just about to ask you, let's talk about the power of a brainstorm because I'm sure you've been a part of brainstorms where it is just like cold, meek. Everyone's feeling it's like uncomfortable. It's like the first day of middle school. Everyone's like, I don't want to show my personality or I don't want to be awkward or I don't want to say something that's going to like offend somebody. You know, I I think that what you've cultivated is like a safe space to have dumb yes. ideas. And I want to know a little bit more about, in your opinion, what's the anatomy of a great brainstorm? Like, what are the key characteristics? Well, there's like very tangible things and then there's kind of more conceptual things. A great brainstorm, the guardrails are off to some degree, to some degree, meaning that there should be like a brain tree or like a structure to like, here are the things we are, here are the problems we have to solve. Here are the challenges we have to solve. And you kind of write those down, you know what those are. And then from there, the guardrails come off. So then you get to play in the biggest pool possible to solve those problems. But you have to know the problems. You have to understand them. You have to understand the audience, so who you're trying to talk to, because that's going to help direct you and guide you. But it should feel like a safe space. It should feel like a creative playground. I mean, I just think we are <laughs> we are just talked out of playing as we become adults and Playing is my favorite thing in the whole wide world. I, I like, I just love that. To me, is the the most fun part of a brainstorm is like the creative exploration, and you just get to have fun. It should feel fun. It should feel hard, and it should feel fun. And it's hard because there are challenges you have not yet solved, and it is fun because you do not feel insecure about what you're putting out there. Because as soon as you start to go, nope, 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 before, even if like there's sometimes I'm sure Lindsay and I are in a brainstorm with each other. And I think her idea is not good. And she thinks my idea is not good. We don't say that. Yeah. We don't like disrespect the idea. Because a lot of times I might come around to one of our ideas or she might come around to one of my ideas or we might, I might write it a different way and it suddenly clicks. I think that's really important. And also um, kind of in terms of like language we use a lot in a brainstorm, I think we say a lot. And I think it helps when you're about to say something you're maybe insecure about because you think it's kind of maybe not well thought out or not great, but you feel like it could be, there's like a niggling in your in your head that's like it could be something, could get somewhere, go somewhere, is we'll say like, is there a world in which it would be fun to use hyperbole here? Is there a world in which it would be like a line of copy that says something like, your mama loves, I don't know, whatever. I'm just making, you know, like, just like a weird thing. Hey, this is a safe space, Allie. Yeah. I mean, that's a, I I think that's a inappropriate joke for me to tell as a a white woman. But, um, but like, is there a, like, we kind of just toss out these scenarios. Like, is there a world in which this could exist? Mm -hmm. Is there a world in which this would be funny? Is there a world in which this would be a fun angle, a fun voice, a fun tactic, a fun tone? And then you're not like married to the idea. You just like, and they go, oh, okay, I could see that. So is there some, like, I think a good brainstorm is improv, um, which is like, yes, and. Like, okay, I see what you mean by that. What if, and then you kind of add on to it. Yeah. Or what if we twisted it here? What if we tweak this? So, 
Yeah. We're not here to shoot down ideas. But that does no. come in the boardroom. Yeah. Well, people in the boardroom are too stiff. <laughs> and that's why, I mean, name your favorite corporate branding. <laughs> I mean, I dare you. Name three. Name two. I want to talk about the buzzkills. I I feel like humor is a risk to many companies. And I am so curious, especially because you have that consulting background. And, you know, you're never going to walk into a room with a bunch of people that don't get marketing and start brainstorming with them because that is just a recipe for disaster. But where are the biggest opportunities for buzzkills in that creative process? Like where do you run into them? And then how do you position your ideas for better (laughs) buy-in? The biggest opportunity you have for a buzzkill <laughs> is anytime you have to work with a client. <laughs> um, and no, I say that half joking. Um, there's truth in it, right? I, I, there's a ton of truth to it. The um, the thing, well, okay, I think we're at, at an unfair advantage because our whole thing is humor. So yeah. we go, people, if you're coming to work with us, like you know what our shtick is. You know what our what we're about. So I think there there's some buy-in already. Um, I think the opportunity for buzzkills happen a lot in a couple, I notice that, you know, that it's people are, uh, afraid, they just get afraid. And so people want to back into their old ways of moving through the world. So I think you have to be someone that is, uh, good at reading a room and recognizing when people's fears are starting to come up in like little micro ways and being able to be encouraging and, um, remind them gently of what they wanted and what their desires are or what the, the kind of the new way of branding and marketing, advertising are are going to elicit or like what, you know, if this is your goal, you can't get to your goal with your old ideas, right? So I think that's one is like being, having a good pulse on it. I think Lynn's and I are pretty emotionally intelligent people. I do all the talking to our clients. I have a really good pulse on them, I think, by the time we even get to creative. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, so I, I kind of can see, I can feel it come up, you know, like I can start to feel and I try to get ahead of it. Um, the other time I think it can happen is if people, if all the key stakeholders are not involved from the jump and then all of a sudden at the 11th hour, everyone, the people are tagging in and weighing in mm. and they've not been part of the, all the conversations, all the buy-in, all of the processes, all, all of the initial delivery rounds, like all of that. When you have people coming in at the 11th hour to like weigh in last minute, hell will break loose so my advice to anyone listening would be um tag in everyone from the start get everyone on board from the start and have like a key person that is like your point of contact because that can get really messy and then I think another changeover is like you know when like we have a design team we've worked with for the last few years and we freaking love them they're amazing they're funny they're fun they're great um we've partnered on a bunch of new projects together and they don't mess with our copy because we're not designers Mm -hmm. Lindsay and I aren't designers so um, we do the ideas and the copy but then we have a great design partner who that's their skill set they get our ideas and they leave them intact where I think sometimes you know people will hand off copy to people who just pick it apart and I I think the hard part with copy is like if you change one word you may change the entire meaning of the sentence yeah and or strip out what's funny it's not just a Scrabble board where you can just mix up the letters and think it's the same exact idea. Mm-hmm. Like everything's intentional, theoretically. So yeah. So if you get too many people, like if you're handing it off too many times too, I think it happens as well. Yeah. And then when you're- the Buzz kills. Buzz kills. I, I think yeah. that's a good way of putting the parts of the process that can really just derail an entire yeah. concept, especially with something that is as intentional as humor. Because like you said, yes. one word could completely shift it or one word that someone says, I don't like that word. What if we swap it out? You're like, well, we just took this Softened f- it. great thing that we're doing and just, yeah, watered it and down. It. Yeah. Or when someone adds an exclamation mark, which everyone <laughs> feels the need to do. <laughs> and it's like, it's not funny with an exclamation mark. It changes the meaning. It changes the tone. It changes the delivery. Yeah. So like punctuation matters, like all those little like the the font you put it in this is it script is it a bold font is it is the color palette lavender or is it black you know like there's just Mm -hmm. a million little things from a branding 
perspective that can change things entirely. What's also super interesting that I want to get your take on is with humor on social media specifically, because I feel like social has opened up that as we talked about a little bit earlier, where brands are known for their Twitter presence or their TikTok presences, it is a brand builder and it does permeate beyond just the platform itself, but also into PR and other conversations that are happening all over the place. What are your thoughts on how social media, digital media, communication, the conversation piece publicly, and just opening up for like memes to take off, screenshot, you know, reshares? There's just a plethora of it. How do you think that that has fueled organizations' comfortability when it comes to leaning into a more humorous, maybe even a more youthful style of communicating? Mm, that's a good question. It's pretty layered, um, but a good, a good, a great question. Gosh, how did I think about that one? Um, I think that. Well, I think the good parts of it is that there are so many talented people out there that can become ambassadors of the brand and they can really draw out the best parts of a company. And I think that's why like, you know, comedic influencers are so popular. I think that if a brand is kind of on top of what's happening in the social conversation, then they can really jump on fun trends and play along. So I think there can be some like really good engagement with user with your with their um, consumers and like really have a fun time on social. Um, I think so. I think that that could be really fun at like building like the brand's goodwill and 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 kind of broadening out its personality and like being seen as like really uh, incredibly engaging and entertaining as a brand. I think. Um, sometimes I think maybe the, I mean, there's a million things I could say, but those are a couple. The dark side is I think that brands can, again, be too late to the game. Mm -hmm. So they just seem like outdated and they kind of fall behind because they're waiting too long to play and engage in social. I'm kind of going to hop around with a couple observations is I think the, uh, content stealing without credit is sucks. Yeah, I think that people feel like they have the authority to just clip anything they see on the internet and use it. And I think that that I I mean, as a creator, I don't like that. But also more broadly, I just think that that's really problematic because I think it just dilutes talent and it dilutes creativity. And I think that sometimes the wrong people get credit. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of like inauthenticity that then happens or a lack of integrity that happens, which I don't personally like. Um, I, and I also think another thing that creativity gets distilled down into content. And I think that's another thing that sucks is content is not the same as creativity. Like when someone approach, when someone comes to our agency and said, Hey, can you create social content for us? We say, no, we turn it down every time we don't create content. We're working on big campaigns, things like that. Like churn and burn content is a game that I personally don't play. I'm not incredibly active on social media. If you go to my Instagram right now, you'll just be bombarded with pictures of my daughter. At this point, I just like, you know, I was kind of quiet, had a baby, post some photos so my family can see. And like, that's the game I play currently. But uh, I, I just, I think that everything seen as content, it's, I don't really enjoy that perspective. Yeah, yeah no, I, I think you're I think totally right. Puts, yeah, I think it puts pressures on, pressure on brands and creators. And I think it also just dilutes like what's good. It's like everything ends up looking average yeah it takes know? a tactic so. and tries to make it a strategy which is if you're just looking at social media and saying we want to churn out some content we want people to engage with it we want to people to buy from it without any thought behind the brand itself then you're really working in, in a not productive not foundation driven way so I completely yeah. agree with you which is you should be creating the brand first you should be developing that big campaign that then turning to a social media team that can execute and take that idea and run with it or take that tone and yes. run with it in a way that is native to the platform. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense than trying to get the social team to deliver without any backing from the brand itself. 100%. Yeah. I love to hear it. And I know we're coming up to time. So where can people find you? How can they learn more about Obedient? Where can they follow yeah. your podcast? Where can okay. they learn from you? 
Okay. All right. Let me let me rattle through everything. So uh, to find Obedient, it is um, obedientagency.com, at obedientagency uh, across social. To hear more about from Obedient in other ways, we have a couple shows. We have a show called Brandsplaining. It was a podcast. Mm-hmm. We haven't posted in quite a while because we're going to come back this year. Uh, but that was some really funny interviews with brand leaders where um, we kind of dug into their, how do they build the brand that they built, but not just kind of a traditional interview question. We played games. It was very silly. It was very absurd. Very fun. We have a brainstorming show called Can They Brand That? where we pick a brand, set the timer for 20 minutes, and ideate as many wild ideas as we can. That's on YouTube. It's also on our Instagram. We have a comedy podcast called Fangasm uh, that we read erotic uh fan fiction uh and we make comedic commentary that's weirdly uh has a a very loyal fan base i love it silly it's been around for seven years um and then me personally um ali lefevre across social i will start posting more fun entertaining broadly consumable things again soon but you know I had a new baby. I'm in the house a ton. It's just one picture after another right now. So. New baby content is all the rage. So I, I support that message. You keep posting it as long as you want. Well, you know, it, when I didn't have a baby, I was not interested in new baby content. So, you know, I think it's a real polarizing topic. <laughs> hey, it's okay. You got to attract your people at the stage you're at, you know? Yeah, true, true. Uh, Allie, thank you so much for coming on the pod. It was such a pleasure to have you. Can't wait to send everybody to stalk you and see what you're up to and get some good giggles in. Thank you for having me. It was a delight. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five-star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories, deep dives, and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hillary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there.